Welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. I'm excited, excited, excited to be with with you, my brothers and sisters, the, the, the covenant people of God. Um, it's, it's Advent season. Uh, it's Advent season. And the, the beautiful thing about it, one of the things that I love about this church is that we don't wait until the, the Advent season to celebrate Jesus' coming. It's a, it's a reality that is present with us each and every day uh, throughout the course of the year. But we, 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 this is the time of year where we, we don't get beat up for talking about his coming too often in the world. So I'm going to make every use, amen, to bring it up. Um, but as we prepare to uh, start this, what's going to be a very, very short Advent series, uh, I'm excited for us, for us uh, today. So why don't you stand with me as we prepare to open up the word of God and join me in Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. As we start our Advent series, hope is on the way. Hope is on the way. Somebody need to hear that. I, I don't know what y'all lives look like right now, but, but somebody need to hear that hope is on the way. Amen. Amen. Isaiah chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. If you're there, say amen. amen. If you need some time, say hold on. Amen. Y'all on it today. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. I'll read it for you hearing this morning, if that's okay. That's all right. Amen. Don't just follow along with me now. Don't just check out. All right. Here's the word of the Lord. Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears, but he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth and he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. And righteousness will be a belt around his hips and faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. If I could tag our text this morning, I would simply say sometimes a first impression isn't everything. Sometimes a first impression isn't everything. Let's pray. Father, we are privileged, privileged to be able to open your word, to be able to hear from you. God, we know that this is your word. And it's profitable for us for all things. When you prayed with the disciples, you prayed that they would be sanctified in your truth. And then you said that your word, oh God, was the truth. May we be shaped and transformed by the word today. May our hearts feel encouraged by the fact that you are always on our side. And even when life seems dark around us, you are right there, oh God, to step in at just the right time 
You've made a habit of, that, of doing that over the course of human history. Stepping in when we couldn't save ourselves. And so God, this morning we come and stand before you as a united people. As a people who are one under the spirit of Jesus Christ. Proclaiming that we know that you are our only hope. And we believe your word to be true. And we will live under the authority of your word each and every day of our lives. God, give me the power that makes preaching easy this morning. May your spirit rest on me this morning. As I tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. In Jesus' mighty name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Sometimes a first impression isn't everything. I don't know if you guys know this about me. I try to share a little bit about me whenever I stand up here. Uh, but but I, I was a huge wrestling fan. And I, I'm not talking about that nonsense that they put on today. I'm talking about like the late 80s, like 90s wrestling. Like Hulk Hogan, yeah. Ultimate Warrior, yeah. Brutus the Barber Beefcake. <laughs> Legion of Doom, I could just, the list goes on and on. I mean, it was, it's, it's phenomenal. And then it crescendoed when you got to the end of the 90s with The Rock. And some of y'all only know The Rock because of movies. But, but The Rock used to be the man. I can't say his taglines because they're not appropriate for the pulpit. Um, but, but, but what was interesting, we, 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 had, uh, we had some friends over. We had Glenn and Alicia over last night. We, and I don't know how we got on the subject of wrestling, but my, my daughter's, uh, got excited hearing about us talking. They wanted to he- they wanted to see what these wrestlers looked like. So so of course you know the fan in me was like, well great, I get to introduce my kids to 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 something incredible that they're going to love. And then we put it on, and they turned to me and they're like, ew, this is fake. And 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 I wanted to body slam them right then and there. But but. One of the things about wrestlers that all wrestlers have is all, all wrestlers have, um, they, they have an entrance yeah. that they make before they wrestle. And, and usually it's accompanied by, uh, by, by very exciting music. And, 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 and often it's, it's, it's somewhat like a production. It's, it's, it's almost like a, a play where they, they, the music hits and then they come out and it's exciting and it's dramatic and they're usually in costume and, 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 and they, they want you to identify them with this, this flamboyance. They, they, they want to, you to identify them as somebody that's worth paying attention to. It, it, it really is in a lot of ways uh, an, an exercise in self-exaltation. And, 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 and me, many wrestlers uh, uh, do this uh, when they enter, because they want all eyes on them. They want you to know that when they come out, they are somebody special. Yeah. But Jesus doesn't come that way. <laughs> this isn't how God's anointed king, the one who was to come, the Messiah, chooses to come into the world. He didn't come in great majesty or or soliciting glory from everybody. He didn't come being immediately celebrated. Rather, he came with his life already in danger. When he came, his rule would be vastly different than any other rule that the Israelites or, or any other kingdom on earth had experienced. See, see the, the, what's interesting about Jesus' coming was 
uh, he was the one who would establish David's throne forever. There, there was something uniquely special that, he, that, that was about him where he was supposed to represent uh, God's anointed one who would establish David's throne. Because they, up until that point, David's throne and the kings who had been on it had been very petty and cowardly. They did not exemplify the type of character that God sought after for a king. And if I can give you a little bit of background, by the time we get here in chapter 11 of the book of Isaiah, what's happened is the people themselves, the Israelites and, and, and Judah, they had so uh, rebelled against God. They had uh, 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 marked themselves by oppressiveness and, and by uh, uh, taking advantage of the poor and by taking advantage of the fatherless and by sacrificing to uh, foreign idols. And so God begins to judge them because what they begin to do is they begin to continue doing all of their religious things without the ethical morality that connects to it. There, there, was a, there was a formal religiosity that existed amongst Israel that was devoid of ethical behavior that honored God. If I, if I can make it plain, they did a lot of church activities on Sunday. But Monday, do, but Monday through Saturday, they lived hellishly. Meaning they tried to fake it till they could make it. For them, worshiping and lifting their hands and following uh, uh, the sacrificial code was enough for them to say that I've earned favor with God. So therefore, I can cuss and I can gossip and I can steal and I can kill and I can murder and I can cheat all the day long because I sacrifice. And so Isaiah begins to prophesy against the people to let them know now that now God ain't about how y'all living right now. See, see, you, you think that he's satisfied because you show up to church and you sing and you serve and you uh, work the, the, the sound equipment or the projectors or help out with the kids. He says, no, God's not feeling that because your heart is far from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't want your worship if your heart's not connected to it. And so Isaiah begins to, to bring judgment upon Israel, and one of the ways that Isaiah uh, communicates that, that that judgment is going to come is through the Assyrian army. See, sometimes God has to use even unbelievers to judge his people. And so God, God uses a bunch of heathens and says, see, you know, the judgment that's, that's in my right hand is going to be this Assyrian army. And, and they're, they're going to bring judgment on my people so that you know that your God expects better of you. But something unique happens. The Assyrians somewhere along the way, the Assyrian king primarily, he got real proud in his heart because he thought that his conquest was because of him and not because God was using him. And he got arrogant and proud. And so God said, you know what? I, I, I didn't want it to destroy my people. I just wanted to judge them. And so now because you're trying to destroy them, I'm going to destroy you. And so in chapter 10, you see God professing these woes against the Assyrian army, and he describes them as, as, as the, the type of people that are like uh, big, healthy forests with big, healthy, glorious, majestic trees. And he says, I'm going to cut your trees down. There won't be any left of you when I'm finished with you. And then we get here to Isaiah chapter 11. In the midst of judgment 
in the midst of destruction, in the midst of gloom, in the midst of darkness, in the midst where the people thought that there was no hope whatsoever, God injects a little promise in here. And, and he had mentioned something about a Messiah coming before. Over in chapter 7, verse 14, he says that, that there will be a virgin who will give birth to a, a, a son. And then in chapter 9, he says that there will be one who comes who is the eternal father, the, the, uh, the, the, the prince of peace, the wonderful counselor. And so you get snippets in the book of Isaiah about somebody that's coming, but it's not until here in chapter 11 where this, this one who is to come is even more clearly identified and, and, and you see what his rule will be like and how he will be significantly, comprehensively greater than and different than any other king that has ever lived. So Isaiah begins to say, he says, he says in verse one, he says, then, then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse. Now that, that, that word shoot just means a child descendant, which is a symbol of hope. But, but what's interesting here is that he uses a stump to describe Israel. Now, now, he uses the stump to describe Israel in contrast to the lofty high trees that they used to be, to the majesty that they used to have. And so, so he describes Israel as now being a stump and how what has now, what has already been judged, something is going to grow out of. Where, where there has been discipline, there's going to be fruit. That, that even in the midst of God dealing with your wickedness and your sin and your falling short, he still gives you promises of hope. Because when, when, when you see a stump, you, you, like a tree that's been cut down, you, you expect it to stay a stump. Especially when it used to be a great tree. A majestic tree, a, a, a tree of wide girth and deep roots, and then it gets cut down and you and you you look on it with pity. But 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 God here says that the, don't don't think that I'm through with this stump just because I've judged it. See, see, some of us in our lives, some of us have gone so wayward that God has to do some things to bring you low again. But 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 just because he brings you low doesn't mean that he's through with you yet. Just, just because he has to discipline and cut some things out of your life doesn't mean that he still doesn't have plans of prosperity for you. That he doesn't have plans of good for you. That he's forgotten about you because God doesn't forget those that he's still working on. And so, 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 so the, the, these ones who were a stump, God says, I'm going I'm, I'm to bring something great out of you. And, and it's going to start off small. Because out of this stump ain't immediately going to grow another tree. It's going to start off small. But, but I don't know if you notice what, what Isaiah does here is he identifies the stump as Jesse's stump. But, but, but shouldn't it be David's stump? Since this king is establishing David's throne. Because Jesse was David's father and Jesse never sat on a throne and, and and the thought here is that is that Isaiah wants us to know that this king that he's going to bring about is not going to come from the majestic glorious pompous line of David it's going to come from the humility of a peasant family 
because he wants it to be made clear that 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 he uses humble things he uses looked over things he uses things that nobody would give any worth to to do great extraordinary things in his kingdom and so here he says you know what just so you know that this king is not going to be like any other king that you know about I'm going to let you know that this king is coming from the stump of Jesse not from the tree branch of David And, and, and fruit says there's a branch that will come from his roots and it will it will bear fruit. There will be health that comes from it. It will grow up strong. It will be greater than what it is currently because it will be my stump that I have planted, my shoot that I have planted in the stump that I am making to grow. And then then he does something interesting. He begins to characterize uh, what this king will be like. He begins to characterize what this, this, this king will be like. Look, look what it says in verse 2. It says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Is that familiar? Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, where, where, where uh, uh, Jesus uh, is being baptized by John. And, and it says that the spirit of God came down like a dove and rested on him. Right? The spirit of God will rest on him. Look what it says. And, and it's a, the type of spirit. It's a spirit of wisdom and understanding. A, a spirit of counsel and strength. A spirit of, of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now, now what's, what's significant about this idea of the spirit resting on him is, is back in the Old Testament, there, there was this thought or it came to be known that then when the spirit of God rested on you, it was for you to be able to do a great work. I like this. The spirit of God didn't just come rest on anybody. And when it came and rested on you, it came and rested on you with purpose. That, that's why David would often say, don't take your spirit from me. Don't let your spirit leave from me because there, there, it was an exercise of knowing that you could do things because of the spirit's present that you could not do on your own. And so, and so there was there was this idea where the, the spirit resting upon this new this coming king was very significant. And, 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 and it came to be applied supremely to a capacity for ethical behavior. Now, now, now this this is important because when you have a people who are pursuing deeper and deeper into unethical behavior, what more do you need than a leader? who is very contradictory in his character than the people he's serving. Meaning that you need your leaders to be above reproach in every way. Yes. You, you need your leaders to have the type of ethical disposition where nobody's questioning what they're doing behind closed doors. It's too bad we don't have leaders like that anymore. That we have too many leaders who are out in the public being celebrated for their wickedness. We're here, he's saying, he's saying you, you've seen the wickedness of Ahaz. You've seen the wickedness of the Assyrian kings. And I, I want you to know that when I say that the, the, the spirit of God is resting upon this king, it means that he will be perfect in every way. There will be sinlessness found in him. There will be nothing that you can throw at him that will stick in terms of accusation when it comes to his character. Yeah, that's good. So that, and that the spirit will rest on him. And, and that spirit manifests itself in, in a particular type of character because it's a spirit of wisdom and understanding, which is more than just a, a smart person. We're talking about more than just book smarts here. 
Because you can be, you, you can get straight A's all your life. 4.0 in college. I don't know how that's possible. So some of y'all did it though. Uh, but, 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 but still lack God's wisdom. You know, I know some really, really smart people, people that'll, that'll, they'll talk all around me. And, and, and yet they are the dumbest people in the world because of, uh, because of how their, because of how their education and their academics and all of the wisdom of this world has caused them to reject what's true about God. Y'all, do y'all know somebody like that? You, you know somebody that's just so smart, they stupid. This, this king is not going to have the wisdom of the world. He's going to have God's wisdom. The type of wisdom that doesn't make foolish decisions based on short-sighted plans. The type of wisdom that, that, that is not human wisdom and, and is not swayed from side to side because of political perspective. Or because of, of relationships with people and how they're influenced. This, this wisdom is the type of wisdom that stands firm because it's God's wisdom. Yeah. Because it comes from him. But, but also this, the, the, what describes the, the spirit resting on him is this king will have a spirit of counsel and strength. If, if you remember over in chapter 9 verse 6 that, that, that it says that, that we'll have a, a mighty counselor. It's the type, of, it's the type of, of person that God, because God will guide him. This person will give counsel, which means devising amazing plans and have the power to act them out. But this equipping is not just military which is what the Israelites were planning or, or hoping for, but would also include military actions. And unless a king had both the ability to gather information for decision-making and the forcefulness to actually make decisions, he was doomed to be ineffective. Not only is he a mighty counselor, but Isaiah says that he's, he has the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Meaning that the, the type of relationship that this king has with God will be an intimate one. Because not only does he have a knowledge of the Lord, but he has a fear of the Lord. Means that, that he takes God seriously. And he depends on God with all of his being. It, 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 it means that because of these two factors, he can be dependent on to perceive correctly and act with integrity. It's not just perception, it's also the ability to act with integrity, Amen. the fear of the Lord. And so, so Isaiah here is communicating that this king will come from humble beginnings, but he's going to be a man who is both dependable, has integrity, is faithful, and is wise. Dependable, has integrity, is faithful, and is wise. You know, you, know, you know what that sounds like? That sounds like a boring person that nobody looks at. I'm gonna be real with y'all. You know the, the, the guy that don't cause no drama, that takes care of his business, that's dependable and faithful, but is humble and doesn't bring any attention to himself? That's the guy people look over. That, that's a side note for some of my sisters in here, just in case you're still looking. <laughs> but, but, but one of the reasons why 
In the New Testament, when you read through the narratives of the gospel, one of the reasons why you see people questioning whether Jesus is really the Messiah or not is because he doesn't want the applause. And every time they try to make him king, he says, nah, nah, I'm not, I'm not, it's the, it ain't time yet. I'm not with that right now. But guess what Jesus does? He takes care of his business. He's dependable, has integrity, he's faithful, and he's wise. Now, 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 one of the things I love is not only just the character of this king, but, but, but now what his, what his rule will be like, how he will actually go about ruling the people. And, 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 and verse 3 just blows me away because it says that his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. And then, then, then look, look, look what it says. It says, it says he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. I mean, it, it, he, he won't just judge by what he sees on the surface. And, and, and he won't execute justice based on what he hears with his ears. Meaning that because of his integrity and his wisdom and his faithfulness and dependability and because he's so connected with God, it's not easy to deceive him. Me meaning that, that he's not just satisfied by what things look like on the surface. Jesus is always trying to get to the heart of what's underneath. And, 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 and here he says, he says that unlike the world where sometimes we celebrate evil as if it's good because we're easily deceived. He says, no, no, this, this king, this king is coming to bring true justice, true equity, true soundness to the kingdom and health. It's sort of like, it's sort of like watching a magician. Y'all ever seen a good magician? You know, like, you know, sometimes they have them Netflix specials or, 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 or like on, or I think it's NBC, that dude with the black mask come on and he be, you know, running around the stage doing all this stuff. And, and you always wonder why you can't figure out, like, you know, it's not magic, right? Even they call the magician, you know, once you grow up, you realize it's not real. Like they're not doing, they don't got superpowers, right? And, and, and you're watching them. And the reason that we get deceived is because we don't have all the information. And so all a good magician does is use sleight of hand and diversion tactics to manipulate your senses. That's, that's all a magician does. And, and, and the, the best you can do is make use of your natural faculties. But guess what? Your natural faculties aren't enough because you don't have all the information. Here Isaiah is saying that absolute justice demands absolute knowledge. And this king is going to come with absolute knowledge. Therefore, he can execute absolute justice because there are no hands tied behind his back that he can't see. He says he, this, this type of king has absolute knowledge. What, what absolute king cannot see or hear and still know what's going on? It, it reminds me of what, 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 what God says to, to, to Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 16. He says, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or his stature because I've rejected him. See, humans do not see what the Lord sees. For humans see what is visible. But the Lord, the Lord sees the heart. 
And, and so the, the people have to know, man, what, what type of king, what kind of standard are you setting for this king? Because we don't know no king that can operate like that. We, we don't know no king that has both that type of character and that type of wisdom that will bring about this type of rule. But, 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 but guess who's longing for that? The, the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed. They're listening to this description and they're saying, where is this king at? Where, where has he been? This is, this, this, listen, if, 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 if it means, like if, if this is the type of king we can have, man, I'll submit all day. I don't mind being poor under this kind of leadership. I don't mind being different under this type of leadership. Because under this type of leadership, there is true justice. There's true equity. And so he says, man, this, this king got to be, this king got to be somebody, somebody that ain't from earth. Now, I don't know nobody from earth that can do what this king is doing. But Isaiah doesn't stop there. He, he continues to go, to go on and he says that he'll judge the, judge the poor righteously and execute justice uh, for the oppressed of the land. And he will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth or a rod from his mouth and will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. All, all, all Isaiah is trying to communicate here is that status, money, or political influence will not derail this new king's agenda. Meaning that that he can't be bought out. This king can't be bribed. This king is not about political affiliation with foreign governments and, and internally trying to get reelected. It, it, it's, was I talking about somebody in particular? Maybe y'all know something I don't know. But, 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 but what he's communicating is that this, this kind of justice and righteousness is already attributed to the king who will sit and establish David's throne. Over in, in, in chapter 9, it says that, that his dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. And he will reign on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it and sustain it with what? With justice and righteousness. And how long will he reign with justice and righteousness? It says from now until forever. Once this king gets on the throne, there will never not be a time where there's not justice. There will never not be a time where righteousness does not pervade every single area of his kingdom. There will never not be a time where the poor will be oppressed and the fatherless will be taken advantage of. There will always be justice, righteousness, and equity when he sits on the throne. And he, 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 says, he says that, that that's available to everybody. It's available to everybody. And, and, and they know that there's a distinct difference between the king and the kingdom that's being communicated here by Isaiah and what they've been experiencing for years under the rulership of these flagrant kings that have been sitting on David's throne. Because all that's characterized this regime under Ahaz has been oppress, oppression and victimization and cheating and robbing and maliciousness. And so for them, a king who doesn't take advantage of people who don't have a voice for themselves doesn't exist. But they have hope. Because the God who has saved them is promising it to them. This king, he, he, he doesn't owe allegiances to anybody. 
And so the great thing about a king that doesn't owe allegiances to anybody is he can say what he wants, when he wants, where he wants. And so the God of heaven through his king, his, this Messiah, the one who is to come, he doesn't have to hold back judgment on his people or on the nations because he doesn't have to answer to anybody. And nobody is going to elect him king because he's already been king before they even cre were created. And so this king sits on the throne knowing that he can say whatever he needs to say for the good of his people without any repercussions. That, that, that's, a, that's a good king to have. Not only that, but verse 5, it says that righteousness will be a belt around his, his hips and faithfulness will be a belt around his waist and which means that righteousness is the capacity for doing the right thing in all circumstances, but also frequently involves keeping one's promise. So doing the right thing in all circumstances, but also keeping one's promise, which is where faithfulness comes in, which comes from the root word that means to be dependable or true. So fundamental to both of these words is the idea of an integrity or consistency, which results in complete dependability. Have you experienced that from God? Like the, the consistency of a God that results in complete dependability, that no matter what you're going through in your life, even if you don't have the answers, you know God has the answers. Like, even when you can't figure way, your way out of this situation, you know that there's a way out. God just hasn't shown it to you yet. That, that, that even when the bills are due and you don't have the finances, God still provides every meal that you need to eat and a roof over your head. Like, like, like this is the type of character that God is saying is going to be in his anointed king. Is the type that no, no matter what you're experiencing in this life, the consistency and the character with which you have a relationship to this king is going to solidify the fact that you can always depend on him no matter what. Now, 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 now I, I'm not, I just want to mention this section. I'm not going to preach on it. I just want to mention this section. But, but, but in verses 6 through 9, look at the results of his rulership. Look at the result. Like, like, if you want to know how well someone is leading, all you have to do is look at the results. Because results tell the clear picture. And, and, and look, look, at, look, look, look at the results of his rule. Look, look what he says. And it, says it says, man, the, the wolf is going to lie with the lamb. And the leopard going to lie down with the goat. And the calf with the lion... And, 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 and the child is going to lead them and the cow is going to graze with their young ones and, and the infant's going to play with a cobra in a cobra's pit and a toddler going to put his hand in a snake's den and not get bit and nobody's going to be attacking them. Like they're not going to kill each other. They're not going to eat each other. It says the land is going to be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. It says, it says there in his kingdom, there is so much comprehensive peace that fills every single nook and cranny of his rule, that, that things that were naturally opposed to one another, naturally enemies will now be at peace with one another. 
See, that, that's the beauty of his kingdom. And see, we can take it a step further. That, that person that, that, that you can't work out forgiveness with right now, guess what? When, when, if they know the Lord too, and you, when you enter his kingdom, guess what's going to happen? Y'all going to be at peace. That, that family member that hurt you and you can't be in relationship with, I'm not telling you to be in relationship with them, but guess what? Because of the beauty of the gospel and because of the clarity of his rule, when you get to eternity, there's going to be peace. There's going to be peace. Some of y'all are, are struggling with sickness in your body, but guess what? In his kingdom, your body's going to be at peace. Some of you guys are struggling with mental illness right now. And guess what? Your mind is going to be at peace. Some of your marriages are on the brink right now. But guess what? In his kingdom. It's peace. So this is the type of king that's coming. The type of king that's on the way. Is when, when, when he grabs a hold of you. And he grabs a hold of your life and you submit yourself to his leadership and his authority. Guess what the natural outcome is? Peace. You know, one, one of, the, one, one of the, the most exciting entrances that a wrestler can make is not even at the beginning of the match. Like, it, like, like, usually you would think, you know, when they come in at the beginning with all the fireworks and the flames and, and all that stuff and the drama, you would think that that's the most exciting time. But it's not. The most exciting time a wrestler makes his entrance is when it's unexpected. You, usually there'll be a guy in the ring and he'll be getting jumped by two, three other guys. And you just like, you just waiting like, man, is, is anybody going to come help this dude? And then all of a sudden... The music hits. And, and you see a guy run out of the stands and jump the fence and slide into the ring. And next thing you know, the, the guy who was getting his behind handed to him is now working with the guy who jumped in the ring to take down their enemies. Jesus' introduction may not have been flashy. It may not have come with a lot of fanfare or great renown. But he showed up in scandalous humility. The perfect mixture of dust and divinity. And when he showed up, whether you know it or not, it was your greatest moment of desperation. No matter what you may be going through in your life right now, I just want to tell you to hang in there. If I had a preacher's voice, I might hoop it for you. But I'm not going to do that this morning. All I want to say is just hang in there. Hope is on the way. Our Father and our God, we are so grateful and thankful that you made your presence into the world. That you saw our desperate need that we were indeed enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ and that you at the right time stepped in for your enemies and saved us and now you invite us to join you on your team and so God we we say thank you for your precious work on the cross 
We say thank you because we, we look forward, oh God, to the already but not yet, God. The, the reality that you're, you are ruling right now, but your rule will be made full when you come again. And so, Father, we know that there is nothing we experience this side of eternity that can separate us from your love, that can separate us from your grace, that can separate us from your peace. And so we await that day where you will come, oh God, and you will make all things new. And there will be comprehensive shalom in the life of your kingdom. But until then, oh God, I pray that you would give us the strength by your spirit to hold on just a little bit longer until we see your face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let our men come as we prepare to transition into a time of communion where we reflect on the beauty of Jesus Christ crucified, buried in a tomb, but risen again. And as we take of the elements and as you sing with us, rejoice in the fact that we will see him again one day and we will dine with him at his table anew in his kingdom. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.